0: Most people view April 1st as April Fool's Day, a day for practical jokes. However, for the townspeople of modern-day Witthofen, Germany, April 1st 1922 would mark one of the most tragic and enduring unsolved mysteries, which is still lasting 100 years later. Well hello my fellow weirdos, how is everybody doing this Friday? I hope everyone is having an amazing day and has had an amazing week. So today we're doing something a little bit different. Um, today I have the lovely lovely host of the amazing pod, uh, podcast Ye Old Crime, Lindsay with me and Lindsay is going to be your host for this episode because she has an unsolved case, which sounds very juicy. So, Lindsay, thank you for coming on. The floor is now yours.
1: Thank you. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, Dom. I appreciate it. I'm very excited to share this story with you. Um, I'll save my sources for the end, uh, but uh, yeah, I'll just dive right into it. Yes. So, Like most people, I love a good mystery. And no cold case has gripped my attention quite like the Hinterkaifeck murders.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So as you kind of mentioned, we're going to be traveling back in time to 1922 to a small Bavarian farm located near Grubarn or modern day Weidhofen, Germany. The largest city is Munich which is about 43 miles or around 70 kilometers north of here. In case anyone knows German uh, geography, which I do not. It's not (laughs) my
0: strong point. I mean, geography in general is just not point. Lots of things are not my strong point, actually.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hard same, hard same. (laughs) So our story centers around the Gruber family. And the Grubers lived on a farm named Hinterkeifek, which had originally been built in 1863. The name comes from the word Hinter, which means behind, and Kaifek, which is the name of the nearby hamlet. Okay. And the family consisted of Andreas, who was 63, his wife, Casilia, who was 72, their widowed daughter, Victoria Gabriel who was 35 and Victoria's children, Kazilia, who was seven and Josef, who was two. Okay. And the groupers also had a maid that lived with them named Maria Baumgartner, who was 44. So that kind was of very, a...
0: very strong pronunciations, by the way. Thank I, you. I got it. that was very good. I, I, God knows what I would have come out with. How do I attempt?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am part German and I did take, one year of german language in high school so i felt very confident (laughs) not not really (laughs) so contrary to what you might think victoria actually owned and operated the farm and her parents lived with her and in town andreas was a pretty unpopular person And many thought he was quarrelsome, ill tempered, and just kind of overall just an asshole. So, good start. (laughs) (laughs) And over time, the rumors got even worse. The people of Kaifek started speculating about Andreas' relationship with his daughter, Victoria.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have a feeling. I have a feeling I know where to speak. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And in 1915, Andreas was sentenced to a year in prison for committing incest.
0: Uh. Ah.
1: (laughs) Yep. (laughs) This one's going to be a roller coaster.
0: (laughs) I know, I know, I know, keep it in the family, but don't literally take that as keep it in the family, man. Exactly. Ah.
1: <laughs> Victoria served a month in prison for the same offense. And at this time they would have been fifty-six and twenty-eight respectively.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> oh God. Yep. That was that was that was one hell of a double whammy.
1: Oh. <laughs> i'm just gonna keep throwing it at you so
0: so so you know the the dads might have been having incest with with the daughter but if you like that there's more
1: <laughs> yep but wait there's more <laughs> yeah. claims oh. were made that andreas was in fact the father of his own grandson oh Josef. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What is going on with this family? <laughs> <laughs> guys. This... I know it was a different time and all, but guys.
1: It wasn't that long ago. On. It was like 1920.
0: <laughs> 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 oh, man. That farm life is lonely, so... obviously.
1: <laughs> I guess. Jeez. Jeez. Uh. Even though a neighbor named Lorenz Schlittenbauer was listed on Josef's birth certificate as the father, the rumors surrounding Andreas and Victoria refused to die down. And that was partially Lorenz's fault. So Lorenz claimed to several people in town that he wasn't the father of Josef, and that he'd merely allowed Victoria to list him as such due to the fact that they'd had a brief relationship with one another. Andreas was so furious by the gossip that he threatened to sue Lawrence, but that didn't stop him from reporting the continued incest to authorities. Andreas and Victoria faced charges again in 1919. So four years after the initial claims, but they were later acquitted in 1920. And in a strange twist, Lawrence recanted his story, claiming that he was, in the famous words of Maury, in fact, the father what? of Yosef. What? what?
0: What? What? What is this case? <laughs>
1: He's like, I'm the father. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. Yes, I am.
0: Oh, this is like 1920s <laughs> Maury. <laughs> is it is
1: for real or more like Jerry, Jerry Springer, Springer honestly this
0: is, this is Jeremy Kyle vibes I'm not gonna <laughs>
1: <laughs> there were claims that Victoria offered to pay off Lorenz if he c- agreed to claim he was the father while another claim circulated that she promised to marry him <laughs> okay okay so. I'm going to play devil's advocate for just one second before I get to the good part of the story. We're not even at the good (laughs) part yet. (laughs) I just like to start off with incest. That's just how I roll. Uh,
0: What an an opener.
1: (laughs) Yep. So there is no way that Andreas fathered Yosef unless he did it after they were already acquitted. Yeah. Yeah. Because Yosef was two at the time the murders took place. So if Andreas fathered anyone, it would have likely been Kazeelia, the daughter. Yeah. But, I mean, whatever. Incest is incest. So, <laughs> doesn't really matter at this point. Um, after being acquitted of incest charges in 1920, <laughs> things seemed to quiet down on the farm at least until about six months before the murders took place. Okay. So, prior to Maria becoming the Gruber family's maid, another had been living with the family. She quit around October 1921 after telling Andreas that she had been hearing strange noises. Noises that sounded like footsteps in the attic. (laughs) What? Yeah. She believed that the house was haunted and felt at times that she was being watched, even when she knew she was alone. Andreas thought she was crazy. And so he kind of was just like, Good riddance. Yeah. And he just, you know, chalked up her claims to just her being superstitious. Yeah. So whether he was willing to admit it or not, the maid may have been onto something. In March of 1922, Andreas found a strange newspaper from Munich on his property. It was a paper that he had no recollection of ever purchasing, let alone subscribing to. When he next ran into the postman, a man named Josef Mayer, he asked him about it, thinking perhaps it had been de- delivered to his farm on accident. A likely assumption.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: The postman confirmed that no one in the vicinity of Hinterkaifeck had a subscription to that paper.
0: Oh. Ooh. Which
1: added to the mystery of why and how it had ended up on his property in the first place.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, that's weird.
1: So, like, yeah. So, like, no one in the Hamlet subscribed to that paper.
0: Oh, that's wild. Ugh.
1: There were other odd occurrences as well. One of the keys to the house had gone missing, and after a time, Andreas himself heard footsteps in the attic, but after conducting a thorough search of the building, he couldn't find anyone or anything responsible for the sounds. Another event that seemed strange, and one that Andreas himself talked to his friends about, was that he discovered a set of tracks in the fresh snow that started in the forest that bordered the property, and led to the farm's machine room, and a broken door lock.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: And even with all of these odd and I would think unsettling events, uh, Andreas never involved the police. I would. He told. I would
0: be on the phone to the police go ahead. like instant. I yeah, the police would be called very quickly. Very quick.
1: Yeah, exactly. He told several people about the strange goings-on at Hinterkaifeck, but he refused to accept help from any of his neighbors. Uh, even when one incident involved obvious property damage and potential theft when they went into the machine room. Yeah. And about the third week of March, Andreas noticed another set of footprints leading from the woods behind the barn towards the house but there weren't any sets that headed back into the woods. What? Yeah. So there were fresh tracks in the snow that led from the forest up to the house, but then there were no tracks that went back to the woods.
0: Oh, that's so weird.
1: Yeah. That's when I'd be like, I'm leaving. (laughs) I'm out of here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would be packed. Well, I wouldn't even be packed. I would just be like, right, yep. I'm going right here, right now. Yep. I'm dropping everything and I'm leaving. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and again, to play devil's advocate, no one lived behind the woods that would have been like, I'm going to take the shortcut and just cross through the woods to go to your house. Yeah. So. Yeah. On Friday, March 31st, 1922, Maria Baumgalt Baum. Wow. Now I started messing it up. Maria Baumgartner. <laughs> arrived at Hinterkaifeck to start work as their new maid. Maria's sister brought her to the farm and left after a short visit with the family. And it is very likely that she was the last person other than the killer slash killers to see her sister and the Grubers alive.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: <clears throat> the Grubers were known to keep to themselves, but townspeople became concerned when the young Kazelia, the seven-year-old, missed school the next day. Additionally, coffee sellers Hans and Eduard Shirovsky stopped by the farmstead to take an order from Andreas, but no one responded to their knocks on the door. Mm -hmm. They did notice that the gate to the machine house was open, but they soon left. When the Grubers didn't attend church on Sunday, April 2nd, a church where Victoria was a member of the choir... People noticed since the Grubers had never missed a service. Mm-hmm. And when Monday, April 3rd rolled around and Cazelia missed another day of school, people knew something just something wasn't right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Suspicions were starting to yep. rise. On Tuesday, April 4th,
1: 1922, a mechanic named Albert Hoffner came to the farm to work on a feeding machine and he spent several hours fixing it without encountering anyone. Mm -hmm. When he arrived on the property, he tried to get the attention of the family, but the only sounds he heard were of the family dog barking.
0: Okay, okay.
1: And once Albert had finished the job, he again tried to get the attention of the family with no success. So instead, he headed out to one of the neighbors to let them know he hadn't seen them and later that evening a search party of neighboring families was assembled and led by Lawrence the potential baby daddy
0: mm-hmm.
1: when the search party arrived at hinter i'm sure they had no idea just what they were going to be stumbling onto mm. so lawrence yeah this is where things get gross
0: ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> give me those grizzly deeds <laughs> <laughs>
1: Lawrence was joined by neighbors Jakob Siegel and Michael Poole, and when they first arrived at the property, it was eerily quiet.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And the group went to the home first and noticed that all of the doors were locked. Okay. The group next went to the barn, where they noticed that the entrance to the machinery room was open. After entering, they went into the stable, and it wasn't long into the search of the barn that the bodies of four of the six members of the family were discovered.
0: Oh shit.
1: They were under a board that was barely covered by hay. And here's where we get graphic. So, Andreas's face had been brutally slashed, and his cheekbones were visible through the cuts. Holy fuck. Yeah. And obviously, his face was covered in blood. Yeah. His wife, Cazelia's skull, was cracked from seven blows to the head, and her neck bore signs of strangulation. Seven
0: blows to the head. Holy fuck.
1: Seven. Victoria also suffered from a shattered skull, and her face had markings consistent with it being hit with a blunt object. The nine wounds were described as star-shaped.
0: Star-shaped?
1: Which is kind of weird.
0: <laughs> Someone's got, just got a load of throwing stuff yeah. and just launched. <laughs> <laughs> sing, sing, sing. That's bizarre.
1: Yeah. Little Cazelia had a shattered jaw and her face and neck were covered in gaping circular wounds.
0: What right the fuck?
1: A hallway connected the barn to the homestead. So Lawrence entered the living room and unlocked the door from inside the house to allow the other two men to enter. Inside, the bodies of young Joseph and Maria were found. Yosef had been bludgeoned to death in his bassinet in Victoria's room by a heavy blow to the face, and Maria had been murdered in her bedchamber, having suffered several blows to the head.
0: Jesus Christ, man. Wowzer. Wowzer, wowzer.
1: Yeah. Yosef's <laughs> Josef, body had been covered up by one of his mother's dresses, and Maria's body had been covered up by one of her sheets. And the murder weapon was believed to be a mattock, which is a tool used for digging that resembles a pickaxe.
0: Holy hell. <laughs> That's yeah. metal as fuck. Yeah. Holy hell.
1: An autopsy conducted by court physician Dr. Johann Baptist Aumuller revealed that all but one of the victims likely died instantly, all of them except for young Kazelia it's believed that she lived for several hours after the rest of her family had been slaughtered.
0: Holy shit.
1: Clumps of her hair were found in her hands, leading investigators to believe that she had torn out her own hair in shock before eventually passing away. That's pretty Yeah. He also noted that they had likely been murdered between the evening of March 31st and early morning of April 1st. In a weird twist, Dr. Almuller decided it made sense to remove the heads of all six victims to study them further in Munich because it was the best way to preserve the evidence.
0: Huh. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's like,
1: all right. Um they also allowed clairvoyance access to the heads to see if they could ascertain and narrow down who committed the crime what
0: <laughs> i shouldn't laugh like the clairvoyants are going to come after me but um <laughs> this story is so wild I, I see this clairvoyant just talking to this head just I think I know who did it.
1: (laughs) It was a man. (laughs) It was a man with a (laughs) pickaxe. That's wild. (laughs) (laughs) God's sake. Fun fact. Years later, all of the heads would go missing during an air raid on the Augsburg Court of Justice building during World War II. And they would never be found.
0: Why did they take their heads? So, that's a. Someone saw them and was like, right, that's going on the (laughs) mantelpiece.
1: Some looters, like, I have found my prize. (laughs) Where's my duffel? Perhaps most disturbing of all was the fact that even with the shocking deaths of the Gruber family, the farm was still operating per usual, so the animals had all been fed and cared for after the murders had taken place. Even the family's Pomeranian dog was okay. What? What? <laughs> That's
0: wow. Okay. <laughs>
1: Neighbors recall seeing smoke coming from the chimney prior to the discovery of the bodies, which led many to believe that their killer or killers had been living in the home for days after committing the murders. Wow. 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 The postman noted that all of the mail that he had, de- that he had delivered from Saturday, April 1st through Tuesday, April 4th had not been touched and was found right where he'd left it. Robbery was ruled out as a motive because almost as soon as the investigations of the house started, Andreas's supply of cash was found in the house. Like, it wasn't missing at all.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: And in fact, if rumors and the former maid are to be believed, then it's entirely possible that the killer or killers had been living undetected on the Hinterkaifeck property for over six months And lured each of the victims into the barn one by one, with the exception of Joseph and Maria. How?
0: How would they go six months without detecting them, or him, or whoever? Yeah. I yeah, not. (laughs) I find that quite difficult to. Yeah, just like living on someone's property for six months and then like picking four people off individually and like nobody being like yeah so what so so something something's going on like Mm -hmm. you know like three people have gone to the bar and have not come back (laughs) yeah that's bizarre
1: there was even evidence that the killers had prepared meals in the home after the grouper's deaths
0: holy cow okay
1: and a year after the murders, in 1923, the pickaxe that is believed to have been the murder weapon was found in the attic of the house during the demolition of the building.
0: Oh, this is juicy. <laughs> this is juicy. Oh,
1: Yeah. So who did it? Over the years, over 100 suspects would be interviewed. The most recent interview taking place in 1986. So here's what we know Munich police, led by inspector George Reingruber, originally suspected that the murders were committed by vagrants. So they set about interviewing every traveling craftsman and several villagers from nearby towns. Mm -hmm. Seeing as nothing of value had been stolen from the property, including the large sum of money that Andreas had stashed away. They ruled robbery as a motive out pretty quickly. When they really began to inspect the home, they noted that the killers had most likely lived at the farm for several days after the killings. They ate almost all the bread from the kitchen and recently cut meat from their pantry.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: The investigators assumed the majority of the victims were drawn to the barn by noise from the animals. This was quickly debunked, however, because no one actually heard screams coming from the barn at the time of the slayings. One neighbor passed by Kaifik the night after the medical examiner predicted their deaths and noted that the oven was on. The person allegedly came at him with a lantern and blinded him, which made the onlooker flee. He also mentioned that the fire itself had a putrid smell but no one followed up on what could have been burning in the oven that night, which I don't like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You should probably follow up on that to
1: be honest. Yeah. (laughs) A local noticed two figures on the edge of the forest near Heinrich on his way home near Brunnen on April 1st, but the figures quickly turned away so they wouldn't be recognized. And he thought nothing of it until he heard about the murders. Five years later, a stranger was said to stop a resident of Weidhofen in the middle of the night, ask him questions about the murder. He screamed he was the murderer and then ran into the woods, (laughs) never to be seen again. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was me!
0: (laughs) How do you say that you... (laughs) i love that man was just like hey buddy, it wasn't me all right right. (laughs) calm down (laughs) that is like that's that's hilarious how do you how do you give off guilt by genuinely giving off guilt (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) Another suspect was Lawrence himself. He'd had a prior relationship with Victoria in 1918 yeah. after he had become a widow. And as we know, he was potentially Yosef's father. He'd apparently been paying Victoria and Andreas alimony for Joseph, And there was a rumor that Victoria was looking into suing him for more alimony. Even though Lawrence had remarried and had a child of his own.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Lawrence had originally planned to marry Victoria, but Andreas had refused to let it happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He was quickly dismissed when police couldn't place him at the scene of the crime, even though the men who had been part of the initial search party claimed that he had been acting suspicious during the investigation. Examples of this are, after finding the bodies in the barn, he magically came up with a key. And went into the house alone first. Now he might have had his own key because, you know, he'd been with Victoria, but his friends were a little like eh, when he went into the house by himself. Yeah. He claimed to be looking for his son Yosef, but he disturbed the bodies and compromised the crime scene. He was also surprisingly not disturbed by the state the bodies were discovered in mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and locals theorized he decided to off the family after Victoria demanded more financial support for Yosef, but he won several slander cases against him, calling him the murderer of Hinterkaifeck. So,
0: yeah. Okay.
1: In a kind of macabre twist, one of the suspects was Victoria's own husband. Carl Gabriel. Carl and Victoria had married in April of 1914, but Carl had returned to his parents' home shortly before heading off to war. It's believed that he left Victoria when it was unclear if he or her father, Andreas, had fathered Cazelia
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: Carl was listed as killed in the French trenches during World War I in December of 1914 eight years before the murders took place his death so yeah (laughs) you know zombie it's fine
0: (laughs) (laughs) man just came back to life (laughs) and killed everyone yeah because yeah
1: (laughs) his death was called into question however since his body had never been found he was also ruled out as a suspect when several of his fellow soldiers were able to verify that they had seen carl die when he has stepped on a mine,
0: that yeah, that's. I think that's quite a quite an open and shut case of man probably died. Yep. I don't think you can just step on a mine and just be like, "No, I'm fine, lads. It's all good." Like, yeah, I think I can, I can buy... walk this off. It's just a flesh wound. Just put a plaster on it; it would be fine.
1: <laughs> that could also. Kind of explain why there wasn't a body. (laughs) If it was, you know, blown up. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. Why haven't you found a body?
0: (laughs) Um, Because there isn't a body left.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) minds. In sticking with the husband theme, another theory is that a soldier from Carl's unit committed the crime. But there is no real merit to this at all. Because what would the motive be?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: Because even if, say, he believed that Victoria was rich because she ran the farm, we've already established that no <clears throat> money was taken. Yeah. So why would some random serviceman been, have come and been like, I'm going to kill my friend's family? Yeah, like that, that makes no sense. Makes no sense. One of the most outlandish claims, besides the whole dead husband theory, was that the family was slaughtered by an extremist political group.
0: Okay, Okay, then.
1: (laughs) For over 10 years after the end of World War I, extreme right and left wing groups had been operating in Germany. Due to its location not far from Munich, it was speculated that the farm was being used as an arms repository a hideout, or a meeting place for militant groups. Okay. If this theory is to be believed, then the murders of the family were a result of a fight breaking out between the two extremist groups, with the Grubers unwittingly being caught in the crossfire. Mm.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. Even if they were reclusive, the idea that they would be part of any sort of extremist group is Yeah, a little far fetched.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
1: and that's saying something because a zombie was (laughs) involved in this. So,
0: (laughs) who got blown up by a landmine, by the way? (laughs) (laughs) But he didn't die,
1: and he he pulled himself (laughs) together and used that rage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You you just went to like, you know, went to the guy that put Frankenstein back together, and was like, yeah. I need I need your help. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go to this farm and like kill all these people. Can you just sort of sew me back together, please? Thank just kind can. of slap this all together, and <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs>
1: there were reports that a strange man had been hanging around the Gruber property, and one neighbor believed they encountered this stranger as they walked past the farmhouse the day after the murders took place. The stranger had been carrying a lantern. And because of the glare, the neighbor was unable to see the person's face. Okay. And the mechanic that had worked on the farm the day the bodies were found hadn't actually been interviewed until almost 11 years after the murders in
0: 1933. Well, why did it take 11
1: years? I don't know. (laughs) What?
0: (laughs) That's something you do, like quite quickly one would 11 years later 11 years later they were just like did we ever actually interview that mechanic and then like dave was just like oh fuck and they're just like dave
1: oh that's right one job that was my job my bad my bad
0: (laughs) dave the intern fucked everything up that's
1: why you never put an intern on investigation
0: right right screw it up He's got a very German name as well, <laughs> Dave.
1: Dave. <laughs> About thirty years after the murders in 1952, a woman named Crescentia Mayer confessed to priest Anton Halber on her deathbed that her two brothers were responsible for the Gruber murders. The men were Anton and Adolf Gump. Oh, I love I love the last oh, no. name. <laughs> Not the Gumps.
0: I mean, you. <laughs> gump is quite bad like <laughs> adolf is also it not great oh that's that's a not that's great. an awful name oh oh my friend yep. i would change both your first and your last names good grief yep.
1: <laughs> adolf had been a potential suspect in 1922 after he was suspected along with three other men of taking part in the slaying of nine people.
0: Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh 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 okay.
1: However, Adolf was never arrested for his potential involvement in hinterkaifek Uh when he was confirmed as a suspect by his dying sister, he'd already passed away.
0: Uh, so yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's not much you can do about that one.
1: No. Prosecutor Andreas Pop was able to detain Anton Gump based huh. on the deathbed evidence, but with little else to go on, he was soon released. Anton was later cleared of any involvement in the case when police weren't able to come up with a single shred of evidence that he had had yeah. any sort of involvement. Yeah. And it wasn't until much later that investigators learned that Crescentia had a habit of making up stories.
0: Were they were they her kids? Did you say
1: they were her brothers?
0: Oh, brothers! Oh, yeah. That's just that is just a little. That is just a sister, (laughs) like just being being an annoying sister. (laughs) Just like yeah, my brothers did it. (laughs) They did it. (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm the middle child. The brothers did it. God damn it! I hate them.
1: <laughs> no one ever paid attention to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get you, Adolf. Definitely the middle child.
0: <laughs> I'll get you, Adolf. <laughs> man had enough problems. Like, <laughs> you know, fucking, yeah, man had enough problems with that name. He didn't need to be accused of murder as well. <laughs> yeah.
1: In the 1970s, a woman claimed that when she was 12, She and her mother were visited by the mother of the brothers, Carl and Andreas S. The mother claimed her sons were the murderers of Hinterkaifeck and said that Andreas lamented the loss of his penknife at the scene of the crime.
0: I mean, I mean, you know, might have been a nice penknife, (laughs) I guess. I guess. (laughs) My pen knife is gone. My
1: pen knife.
0: People died, but it's a really nice pen knife. Come
1: on. (laughs) Interestingly, when the farm was torn down in 1923, a pocket knife was found with no known owner. And the former maid, Cresenz Rieger, was certain there was already a pen knife strewn in the yard before the murders happened. Oh, okay. So,
0: okay.
1: Another potential suspect was a man named Peter Weber. He told his flatmate, Josef Betts, that he worked at Hinterkaifeck. He knew about the incest and he suggested <clears throat> killing Andreas to get his money. When Josef declined the offer of assisting in said murder, uh, Peter never spoke about it again. So, take that as you will. Mm. The former maid uh, suspected that brothers Anton and Carl Beekler committed the crime. They had worked on the farm during potato season, and so they knew the lay of the land. Anton allegedly hated the family and thought they should die.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) A bit harsh. That's a Uh, a strong stance to take.
1: Yep. She also noted that the family's Pomeranian barked at everyone except Anton and claimed she spoke to a stranger in the window of the house the night the family died. She believed she was talking to Carl, Anton's brother, and that they committed the slayings with George Siegel, who was another former worker at the farm, because they wanted the family fortune. Okay. Again, no one took the money, but... George denied his involvement, but he carved the handle of the murder weapon himself and knew where it was located in the barn.
0: Oh, buddy. Oh, no. <laughs> it's not. You're not doing a very good job of not raising suspicion <laughs> there, my friend.
1: <laughs> yeah. The previous maid also threw out Rieger and Joseph Thaler, because they creepily stood outside of her home window one night and asked questions about the family that she didn't respond to. The brothers claimed they knew where each family member slept in the house and noted that the family had a lot of money.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: Yeah. Not good. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, it's not yeah.
1: good. What we do know is that the killer or killers... Knew how to run a farm since it was maintained several days after the murders. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: They would have known how to wield a mattock. And um, Mm -hmm. given how savage the murders were, they likely were someone who held a grudge against at least one, if not all of the Gruber members of the family. Yeah. And as I mentioned earlier, with little evidence to go on, The investigation turned to psychics, but nothing (laughs) came of that. Nothing,
0: nothing, You mean nothing came of the clairvoyants talking to their heads?
1: No. Ah,
0: colour me shocked.
1: The heads were oddly silent.
0: (laughs) They're normally really talkative. Strange.
1: I know, it's weird. (laughs) The farm was demolished a year after the slayings, and the Grubers are interred at a nearby cemetery. Today, a monument stands near where the farm used to be located as a memorial for the victims. The case was closed in 1955. In 2007, the first and failed Brooke Police Academy reopened the Hinterkaifeck cold case, regardless of the fact that much of their evidence was either lost or degraded beyond use, and the fact that many of the suspects had, you know, already died. Yeah um and the fact that the original police force didn't do the best job investigating the scene yeah but this really wasn't their fault because by the time the munich police arrived on the scene it had already been severely contaminated by dozens of locals who had wandered all over the property they'd moved the bodies around and disgustingly they'd even like made food in the kitchen uh,
0: uh, no. <laughs> oh, <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, even with all these obstacles, the Academy did develop a theory on who committed the murders.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: But their theory has been kept under wraps out of respect oh. of the families involved who still occupy the area.
0: Understandable,
1: yeah. But and because of this, we may never know who actually killed the Gruber family <sighs> and why.
0: Oh, that was such a tease when you were like, they came up with the new theory. Oh man, I was buzzing. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's understandable why. But still, oh, I, w- oh god, I want to know that theory. That's gonna, that's gonna drive me crazy now.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm hoping that as horrible as it sounds, I'm hoping that whoever the family is that still is alive, maybe when they pass away they'll uh release who actually <laughs> did it. Because I want to know. <laughs>
0: like Yeah, I need to know this. <laughs> like this is a need this is need to know. Need to yeah. know information.
1: <laughs> so so that is the story of the Hinterkaifeck murders.
0: Well, thank you for, for sharing. Oh, that was good. Oh, that was very good. That was very good. I, I love an unsolved murder case or an unsolved mystery. Like, because obviously, like, there are so many theories, and some of them would just get absolutely insane. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was really, really fun. Thank you for, for telling that, Lynn. That yeah. Was amazing. Um, thank you so for for the people that haven't listened to your podcast um which people should like you know check out check out Lindsay's podcast it's it's so good um you know especially because you cover you know the older cases that you Mm -hmm. know people might not know that much about like there's loads of cases I've listened to on your show that I've obviously not heard of because you know Mm -hmm. most podcasts will you know will cover the current you know sort of crime true crime cases but for anyone who hasn't listened to your your podcast yet um you know plug away sort of tell tell us about it where people can find it where your social media is and all of that good stuff
1: sure so again thank you for having me on and for listening to my insane story (laughs) uh So Yield Crime is a show that I do with my sister Madison, and as Dom mentioned, we talk about um, historical crimes that take place pre-1900s, and you can find us pretty much wherever you listen to this podcast. We put out new episodes every Wednesday, and then we also release special bonus segments every couple weeks called Can You Crack the Cramp Word?, where we have fellow podcasters like Dom on for an episode and see if we can stump them with some Victorian slang terms. I wasn't um, stumped. I got
0: two out of two. Don't listen <laughs> to Lindsay when she says I didn't it. It was any a banger. It. He just knocked <laughs> him out of the park.
1: Uh, and as far as socialists are concerned, you can find us on Twitter at Ye Old Crime Pod, and it's old with an E at the end of it. And then we're also on instagram and facebook at ye old crime podcast
0: wonderful um so you can find horror house um on instagram and twitter at horror house underscore pod you can find the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts um also check out the merch store as well Uh, i recently put a few new items on there i think it was a t-shirt a hoodie and a mug Um, so check those out on Monday I'll be putting uh, a few more items on there also with the merch store uh, uh, from or up until the end of uh, May uh, there is a code that you can use to get 25% off and that's store wide that's unlimited usage so it's, it's not just to use it once and you can't do it again Horrorhouse house 25 you can use that code as many times as you want until the end of may and you can get 25% off all of the merch um a few people like super super quick when i put the new stuff on the other day got one of the hoodies and one of the mugs um so check it out treat yourself you know everyone loves a good hoodie everyone loves you know a nice mug so go and have a look um and From me, all that's left to say is stay spooky. Lindsay, would you like to give a little sign-off as well?
1: Sure. Um, My famous sign-off on my show is I'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.
0: Beautiful. Thank you very much, guys. Bye.
1: Bye.